Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Hello and welcome to another edition of Talk Travel Asia. This time it is Almost Asia, French Polynesia, which comprises four archipelagos in the South Pacific, stretching for more than 2,000 kilometers. Perhaps the most famous of the islands, Tahiti, conjures images of a postcard-perfect tropical paradise with coral-fringed lagoons and over-the-water bungalow hotels. But with more than 100 islands, French Polynesia is certain to harbor a few travel surprises, and our guest today will share some of her insight about Tahiti and the other islands that comprise French Polynesia. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott, and with me as always is... Hey, Scott, Trevor Ranges here in, oh, I'm not in Siem Reap. I'm back in Phnom Penh again. <laughs> yeah, this is our second, uh, this is our second Almost Asia episode. Uh, we did a show about Hawaii a few years back. And so it seemed kind of suitable to me that when you suggested Tahiti and our guest today, um, that it would be next as the Hawaiians are believed to have sailed from Tahiti. And uh, I think there's like going back thousands of years, some uh, migration coming from Asia to settle these islands. So it seems like this almost Asia is a pretty cool one. Yeah, indeed. And a bit of history that we gleaned off Wikipedia. Anthropologists and historians believe that the Great Polynesian Migration started about 1500 BC as Austronesian people went on a journey using celestial navigation to find islands in the South Pacific. So the first islands of French Polynesia to be settled were the Marques Islands about 200 BC. The Polynesians then later ventured southwest and discovered the Society Islands about AD 300. And after centuries of isolation, during which Hawaii was eventually settled, Europeans discovered the islands, which became part of a French protectorate in the 19th century. Yeah, the celestial navigation is pretty cool and probably worthy of its own topic if we can get someone from the Polynesian Voyaging Society in Hawaii to come on the show. Um, but otherwise, it's amazing how this culture spread across so many islands across the entire Pacific, really. And French Polynesia, I heard uh, uh, from our research, 118 islands spread across this 2,000 kilometers of ocean, uh, 67 of which are inhabited. Um, Tahiti, which is in the Society Islands group, is the most populous island. It's home to nearly 70% of the population, uh, which last stood at 275,000. Uh, the capital of Tahiti and Polynesia is Papite, where there are 136,000 people. So the city itself is relatively small, but that seems like a sizable enough number to have like a, you know, a, a nice little island life <laughs> coming from an island myself. As, as of the 2017 census, that's the most recent numbers I found, 89% of the people living in French Polynesia were born in French Polynesia. Only 8% were born in France. Um, 66% of the people are ethnically unmixed Polynesians, 7% ethnically okay. Polynesian with light European and or East Asian mixing, 12% European, mostly French, and 10% mixed European and Polynesian descent, um, as well as a few East Asians, mainly Chinese. So it seems predominantly Polynesian, 
and then you cool. know some European influence and some European skin tones and, and a few Chinese. It's, so it's a well, it is almost Asia. There are there is a Chinese population there. And the area is made up, I think, of five archipelagos, the Society Islands, which are comprised of the Windward Islands, the Leeward Islands, Tuamotu Archipelago, Gambia Islands, Marques Islands, which we mentioned, and the Austral Islands. The area is simply massive. And just before we bring in our guest, remember, Trevor and I fund everything to make this show happen, but we need your help. So please go to patreon.com. Search Talk Travel Asia, and for as little as a dollar or two a month upwards, you will receive bonus content. So between each of these normal episodes, we do a short episode. Sometimes we cobble together a cool little video and so forth, and it helps keep this going. So thanks in advance for that. Let's get into it. Celeste Brash has been a travel writer for Lonely Planet since 2005 and has contributed to over 80 books and countless articles. Her travels have brought her to more than 50 countries and have helped her learn to communicate in French, Spanish, Thai, Malay, and Tahitian. Along the way, she's written for numerous other outlets, such as Islands Magazine and National Geographic and National Geographic Traveler. She is currently flexing her entrepreneurial skills as CEO of Kamakoa Pearls, an online sustainability Tahitian pearl jewelry boutique, while also trying to complete her memoir about her five years spent on a remote atoll pearl farm. Today, she joins us from Tahiti. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you. How's it going there? How's the weather? How's the weather in Tahiti today? Probably nice, yeah? Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's kind of raining on and off, but it's uh, warm and beautiful. I, I love this season because it, you know, it'll rain and then it's night, sunny out and then it rains again. And we, it, it, it's sort of dramatic and exciting while still being very, very pleasant. Celeste, where, so where are, you, where are you from and where are you now? Um, I'm originally from San Francisco, California, and right now I'm talking to you from Chopo, Tahiti, in French Polynesia. This is exotic, and it's far from home. I guess I'm wondering when and why did you first end up in French Polynesia, Celeste? I first came here when I was 19 years old. I just started dating this crazy guy, and he was sailing down here with his family and told me to meet him on this very remote atoll and I amazingly made it out there even though there was actually no way out there he, he did not tell me that there was no way to get there when, oh. before I left <laughs> <laughs> um, I ended up hitching a ride on this little outboard from a, another island and um, and then we ended up walking around the island and camping and then anyway years later after sort of a long uh, uh, build up we I and I traveled and went to university in Thailand and then ended up coming back here several years later and moving here for good. And that's when we got married and had kids and I ended up raising my kids here. I spent 15 years here. Sounds like the ultimate pickup technique and it worked. <laughs> it did. It did. Hey, I got a pearl farm. Want to come visit? Right. Hey, no, you know, it was kind of, uh, you earned it though, because like not only were you adventurous enough to be like sure i'll meet you on some random atoll but as you said it was so difficult to get there so you have to be like determined and and figure out how to do something like that too which is which is really one of the great things about travel you got the spirit of travel there so so kudos to you for that because we were looking at uh, we're gonna have a google map on our show notes and tahiti as we explained in the introduction is massive the islands are so far apart not tahiti but french polynesia so from where you are in tahiti yes. to this atoll could be like a day away yeah, I mean it's a it's about an hour and a half flight. There's a uh, there's an airport now. There was not an airport back then, 
Um, and actually the funny story is that his mom, I didn't think his mom liked me very much. And um, when I showed up, I remember her just looking so shocked that I'd actually got there. And I think that's sort of how I won his <laughs> mom over. But uh, yeah, back in the day, I it was really just a cargo ship uh, that went directly there. And I missed the cargo ship. So I looked at a map and found the nearest island where there was a airport and decided I would just fly there and hope for the best. So I flew there and ended up making friends with this guy on the air uh, on the airplane who um, managed to get me a ride in this little tiny tin outboard boat with these two young guys that were picking up goods from a cargo ship on the other island. And then we went the three or four hours back over open ocean to Ahe Atoll, which is where um, our pearl farm is and where I lived for five years. Yeah, and surprised everybody that I was actually able to get there. Surprised myself, too, because I was only 19. It was my first time traveling by myself. And I really had no clue what I was doing and hardly spoke any French, but I managed to make it. So I was, it was empowering at the time. Incredible backstory, Celeste. And before yeah. we get kind of deep into French Polynesia, could you give us, pretend we know nothing about French Polynesia and Tahiti? And I will embarrassingly say, I didn't realize that Tahiti was part of greater French Polynesia. So can you give us sort of a, a broad high view lay of the land? Sure. It's 118 islands spread over an oceanic area about the size of Western Europe. And there are five archipelagos. Each one are very, very different from the next. There are high islands and coral atolls, the Tuamotu atolls, which is where I was just talking about, where Ahe was, where I originally lived for five years, uh, is a, it's part of a, the biggest archipelago, which is the Tuamotu archipelago, which is almost entirely atolls. Then there's uh, archipelagos like the Marquesas, which are almost all high islands with hardly any coral barrier reefs. Um, the most well-known is Tahiti and the Society Islands, which is where Tahiti, Bora Bora, Morea, um, all the famous islands that most people know about are um, in that archipelago. And those are high islands with coral reef, coral, bar coral barrier reef around them. So they enclose these absolutely spectacular turquoise lagoons that are like giant swimming pools and great for tourism. I'm actually about to set sail in about a week for the Austral atoll which uh sorry the austral archipelago which is the farthest south and um those are mostly high islands also including uh rapa island which is the most remote in the entire country and so i'm gonna be going there in about two weeks and i'm very very excited about that because it's incredibly hard to get to wow that is a massive territory and i'm looking at google maps as we talk <laughs> incredible really fascinating yeah it's it's um you know each archipelago speaks different languages a lot of even the or the actual islands will speak different languages. Uh, Paumotu in the Tuamotu archipelago, the language is vastly different than what's spoken in the Society Islands. And if you if you really just look at it, you through language, you can sort of see the history and the connections between each archipelago. And it's all under the umbrella of France, but originally and culturally, they would be five different countries. Yeah, again, I'd like you to be able to help us with a Google map. I'm dropping some pins here as you talk today. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a, a widespread area, like you said, the size of Western Europe. And again, even just to get it on the Google map, you have to make it so small to see all the islands, but then you can't see any of the <laughs> islands because they're just little pinpoints. Yeah, they disappear. <laughs> I've had that too. Is uh, is that like Bora Bora and, and Tahiti since they're 
I guess the largest, and that's why they ended up probably becoming the most well-known. Are those still kind of the two top destinations? Yeah, those and probably Morea. Uh, Bora Bora is actually pretty small. Um, it's more, uh, Tahiti is the main island. It's sort of the most livable island. It's, um, I'm not sure if it's the biggest island. I think, I think it might be. Um, it's close in size to Rayatea, and I think that they're, I think that Nukuhiva in the Marquesas Islands might be almost about the same size also. Those are the three biggest islands in the country. Yeah, Tahiti is more of just sort of the landing spot. It's beautiful, but a lot of tourists don't really stick around. They'll go to um, Morea, which is just a, a really short boat ride away, or um, or take a flight. Or now you can take a boat, actually, as of about a year ago. There's a, a, a ferry that goes to Bora Bora, and that's where... You know, there's white sand beaches and all the resorts and more of the touristy stuff. But you can find all those beaches and, you know, beautiful scenery and everything um, all over the country without the resorts also, if that's what you're after. So imagining somebody is thinking of going to French Polynesia for two weeks of a holiday, are you best to stick to one island or is it feasible and a good idea to be going to multiple ones? And then sub question, do you need to be flying or can you just boat it? I'm trying to wrap my head around say, a, a two week trip. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it can be a bit daunting actually trying to figure it out on your own. In general, I would say to move around for two weeks. You can visit a few different places. It really depends on your budget. Flying is very expensive, but the most convenient. And you can really hop around to a lot of different types of islands and see a lot. If you, you can get an air pass or you can just go to one or two different islands. And that would be my top choice if you had the budget. But as I said, flights, I mean, just... Even the shortest flights can be, you know, around $500 round trip. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's pretty expensive to get to Ahe where I live part of the year. It costs more than my round trip there costs about the same as my international ticket. So, yeah, so there's a ferry that just started, which is great, um, that goes to uh, the Society Islands. So from Tahiti, you can go to Huahine. That's the, uh, the first island that it stops at. And that's about three or four hours to get there. And I think it's not too expensive. It's under $100 to get there. Uh, it's like 65 bucks one way. Uh, it can be pretty rough. So um, especially on the way there, if you go from Tahiti to Huahine, it's, um, it can be pretty calm. But on the way back, you get the other currents and it, it, it's pretty awful. I've, um, I've done it and I, I don't know if I would do it again, but I get pretty seasick. But then from there, it goes to Rayatea, Taha, and Bora Bora. And all of those are amazing islands. And, you know, Bora Bora is a lot more expensive than the other islands, but it's also stunning. And it gives you sort of what a lot of people come to the country for, which is that, you know, the overwater bungalows and more of the resort experience. Huahine is one of my favorite islands um, because it's beautiful. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's, it's much more low key, kind of less touristy. There's beautiful beaches, a lot to do. You can kind of just settle into a really slow island groove without it completely, you know, costing your kid's college fund or something, which is what you'll get on Bora Bora. Wow, really? I, the, the other way I was thinking about it, too, though, is, you know, are there specific destinations that are better for certain things than others? Because, you know, for me, Tahiti, I'm thinking surfing, and, and you're in Chopu right now. So, But there's got to be other surfing elsewhere. But then kite surfing is kind of a different scene, and then diving and, you know, fishing. So, like, would you almost want to pick your island or your destination based on what you wanted to do there? Or can you kind of do all of those things pretty much anywhere? 
Yeah, you would want to pick it from what you want to do. Um, kite surfing, definitely Morea. There's also surfing and diving in Morea. So for people who want a lot of activities in one place, Morea is a really good choice. Plus, I think it's it's one of the most beautiful islands in the world. It's um, on par with Bora Bora, in my opinion. Um, it's bigger and it's a little bit more built up, but it's, um, yeah, it's just a stunning island with a lot to do. There's a lot of great hiking there also. Um, surfing um, can be a little tricky. Here on Tahiti, it's great. Um, I'd say Tahiti is one of the top picks for surfing. Um, when you get to some of the outer islands, there's kind of more of a local scene where they don't really want outsiders coming in and surfing. And if you're really polite and, um, you know, go in with a smile on your face and uh, go and shake everybody's hand out in the water and um, be kind, you'll probably be fine. But, um, we, you know, we get people coming in and sort of acting like they they own the place and that that does not go over very well out there. But in Tahiti and Morea, it's pretty low key. I'd, I'd say that's probably the best to start out if people were coming from 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 elsewhere. Okay. And, you know, Trevor mentioned Hawaii's. We're both a bit familiar with those islands. Sorry to keep making mm-hmm. comparisons. But are, are these islands, you mentioned the language, but are they starkly different from one another? Example, Tahiti and Bora Bora, or does it kind of become more or less the same to keep going to all kinds of tiny little islands? Um, I'd say they're all quite different. Um, it's more from the archipelagos where you start to see a real difference. If you, you know, if you stick to the society islands, you'll be getting a lot of sort of the same type of experience. Um, you know, if you're with, if you're going from Tahiti to Bora Bora, Bora Bora has this massive blue lagoon and that's its biggest draw. The actual landmass, it's just sort of this big square mountain that rises up in the center and it, it, you know, it's on all the postcards and it's, it's incredibly scenic and beautiful. But the lagoon is really why you go there. Where Tahiti, it, it's more mountainous. There's sort of more cultural activities. So you, you, you know, you, you're getting different things on different islands for sure. But to really mix it up, you'd want to mix up your archipelagos. Like you'd want to go to the Tuamotus for a coral atoll, which are completely flat, you know, just rings of coral around a lagoon. And those are also the best diving destinations. Rangiroa is the second biggest atoll in the world. And there's some absolutely incredible dives there. Uh, there's uh, some hammerhead shark dives, shark dives in the past. Um, my last big dive was about two years ago before COVID. And I played with a dolphin underwater for about 10 minutes, just me and a dolphin. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my diving life. Yeah, so so there's there's a lot of that out there. Manta rays, not a lot of soft corals, but a lot of pelagic life. And uh, yeah, for divers, you definitely want to go out to the Tuamotu Archipelagos, which is a very, very big contrast to the high islands. Um, the Marquesas are completely wild and completely different from anything else. It's they're they're really disconnected. They're very windswept and you know barren hills and rocky cliffs that you can uh, lots of hiking trails very little barrier reef not much in the way of a lagoon not much in the way of diving or snorkeling or anything like that but that's where uh, the artist Gauguin spent his last days so there's a Gauguin museum and um, Jacques Brel who is a French musician also spent the last um, I think year or so of his life there very romantic, very, um, but in a different way, not in that classic tropical island way, but more in, uh, you know, checking out archaeology and history 
uh, Herman Melville was kidnapped and lived with a uh, what he called back then a cannibal tribe of uh, Marcations on Nukuhiva. And he wrote the book Taiki from that, which is uh, great to read if you're going to go head out there. It's probably one of the best accounts of pre-European Marcasian culture. He actually uh, jumped ship. Uh, he was on, I can't remember if he was on a whaling ship or what kind of ship he was on, but it was, you know, back when you would be hung if you jumped ship. And so he had to, you know, hide up in the mountains and then he ended up breaking his leg and getting rescued by these, you know, this, this tribe that everybody was terrified of, that all of the, the, uh, the, the Europeans were, were completely terrified of the Marcations. And uh, so anyway, he ended up, I think he was with them for about six months. Are there any opportunities to do anything, not like that, but to like do a homestay or go to <laughs> a, a lesser traveled? Uh, do they have homestays or opportunities to like kind of experience local culture like that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's something. Um, and I'm always surprised at how few people take advantage of that. Um, French Polynesia, I heard, I'm not sure if this is true, but I did hear that they we have the highest percentage of Airbnbs per capita of anywhere else in the world. Hmm. And it really wouldn't surprise me because um, Tahitians love nothing more than to have foreign visitors. Um, and so a, lo a lot of them are sort of inexpensive and you end up in, you know, these, these people, a room in somebody's house and you're staying with the family and um, especially when you get to the outer islands. And I, I think, in my opinion, that would be the best way to experience a lot of these places. Um, you know, you could do it the touristy way and, and, and go on tours and see quite a bit that way. But to, to really meet the people and sort of see it from the ground is, is a whole other experience here. And people are just wonderful. Well, you've just sort of touched on something I was curious about, is how can you actually experience local culture? We recently did an episode on Maldives, and and this sounds a bit similar in that small islands spread out over huge distances, and a lot of people just go to a resort. Beyond the homestay, how can people experience and connect to local culture? So there are some opportunities to do, like, woofing, willing workers on organic farms and work away. Hmm which you can go, I don't know how many places are available for that, but we, we, I just met a French couple that was doing this. Um, and they worked in the, um, on Tahiti and in the Austral Islands and in the Tuamotus, um, all in different types of, you know, they're working on a pearl farm, they're working on a agricultural farm, and they were working in a, um, in a, like a family pension, like raking leaves and, and doing sort of, um, just sort of, manual labor around that place um and you know what you do is it's an exchange for for food and lodging so you work for around three days a week and in exchange you get to stay in these amazing out-of-the-way places with local people and it's it's a it's a very untouristy uh uh experience polynesians are natural born travelers you know i mean they they how they even got here in the first place they took off in their canoes with their families and their pigs and their dogs and their taro plants and sailed off into the unknown. And I think they still sort of have that spirit today. And they, they really love meeting people from other places and other cultures. They, they really appreciate the international connection with people. Okay, so what, what kind of food might you expect if you were doing an Airbnb and staying with a local family and they wanted to, to make you a meal? That can vary wide, widely. Um, in a real like local house, you'll probably be eating a lot of fish, a lot of rice, a lot of stuff out of packages. Like, which I know that doesn't sound very great, but you know, we're 
there's a lot of like hot chocolate and canned coffee and canned milk and Mm. canned butter. People make uh, a lot of chicken stew, um, which is actually very tasty. Um, The fresh fish is the best part. And uh, we eat a lot of raw fish, um, sashimi, tuna sashimi. Poisson cru is the national dish. So that's a raw fish lightly marinated in lime juice. And then you mix it with salad vegetables, usually cucumber, um, onion, carrot, and then it's uh, covered with coconut milk. And that's incredibly delicious. And you eat that on top of rice. White rice is served with almost every meal. Uh, Baguettes in the morning, usually with coffee or hot Mm. chocolate and butter and jam. Um, They love Skippy peanut butter. Uh, one of the other things mm. that people talk about a lot, we, um, what they call it the national dish, but it's, uh, we eat uru breadfruit, you know, oh. you just, uh, throw in the oven or throw in a, a, a fire pit and char it. And it's, um, it's this sort of, uh, very mild tasting, a bit like a potato, uh, but it's this giant yeah. fruit and you eat that traditionally, although it, it, it's not obviously not ancient, but with, um, canned corned beef mixed with onions. And so you get this sort of salty, fatty pork that you sop up with the, the breadfruit. And that's that's a real local favorite. It's it's incredibly delicious and probably not very good for you. Well, it sounds like a real neat mix of local and French-influenced and imported things in cans. So that's real interesting. You know, And Chinese. Chinese is the other influence that we have. We have a lot of chow mein. Yeah. Any of these far-flung places, the first thing that comes to my mind is is the cost. And is this a kind mm-hmm. of destination that somebody can visit, you know, on a on a moderate budget, or do you need to be a a high roller and blowing it all on your honeymoon? It depends on how you travel, and it depends on where you want to spend your money. I mean, you could technically just stay on Tahiti and hardly spend anything if you sort of hooked up with a local family. You could start staying in an Airbnb, or there's 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 camping in Morea. Um, and you can live pretty cheap. You can get fruit and fish from the side of the road if you're going to cook for yourself. Um, we just bought a 10-pound tuna caught that day for $15. And um, you know, it's just my husband and I will get four or five meals out of that. And fruit from the side of the road, you can buy you know, a big basket of about, um, right now, mangoes are in season. So you get about eight mangoes for five bucks. So if you if you shop from the side of the road, things are pretty cheap, and you can do that in all the islands, um, and that's sort of our favorite way to shop. Once you go into a supermarket, things get pretty expensive. There are things that are subsidized by the government, which includes white rice, uh, white flour, so you can get baguettes. There's sometimes French pastries available. Yeah, sort of cheap junk food stuff. But um, But generally, if you want to eat well, the side of the road is the best way to go. And if you can cook for yourself, then um, food food doesn't have to cost that much. The other thing that I always recommend to people is a lot of people who go on these sort of fancy vacations, they eat at, at restaurants. We have two levels of restaurants here. We have what we call a restaurant, which is, you know, a sit down thing. You might want to kind of dress up a little bit to go. And then you have your, your main dish might cost you $25 to $35. It's, it's pretty expensive. But then we have these other kind of more casual restaurants, which is where the locals go mostly, which are called snacks. There you can eat pretty well for about 10 bucks. Wow. So there's some middle ground depending on how you want to live and do it. That's interesting. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to a resort and you're going to nice restaurants and you're renting a car and, you know, you can you can blow a thousand dollars a day easily, but you can also live off a hundred dollars a day and be fairly comfortable. This might be kind of a dumb question. It's a two parter, Celeste. Are there tons of white faced French people around or is it more a local population visibly? And then how much will speaking French help you on a visit? So we, that's where we differ greatly from Hawaii. It's mostly Polynesian here. So you can go a day without, you know, just seeing one or two white faces. It's a, it's a very small part of the population. There are also Chinese. We have a a pretty big Chinese population, which is actually bigger than the French population, I think, or about equal. And then we have a lot of sort of mixed people who sort of more consider themselves Tahitian, but they are of mixed heritage. Um, But it's very Polynesian here. And, you know, the the land mostly belongs to Polynesians. The culture more and more, there's a lot of um, sort of uh, cultural renaissance been happening over the last 20 years um, where there's the culture is really coming back in force. The Tahitian language has come back a lot. It used to be that people didn't speak much English, but the kids started learning English in school at a younger age, starting from about 15 years ago, I would say. And so the younger generation speaks English quite well. People love speaking English here. It's not like France. People really enjoy being able to speak English and they pride themselves on trying to speak English and they love communicating with foreigners. So you you do have quite a bit of English nowadays. That's a really neat uh, observation and surprise. I would have figured there'd be more foreigners around. So that's neat that you're encountering a high percentage uh, local population. It's very local. People are usually surprised. We had uh, some people on a sailboat from Hawaii who were here last week. And um, they were shocked at, at how 100% Polynesian, where I'm living, I'm in, a, I'm in a small village. We get tourists coming in every day from, you know, we get a few French faces or whatever coming in. But the, the, the people who live here are almost entirely Polynesian. Hey, Celeste, what do you think would be like the ideal two-week itinerary for visiting French Polynesia? I have a holiday coming up. I'm actually planning to go to Bali because I have AirAsia credits. But uh, I'm tempted to come to Polynesia simply because there's homestays and camping and what do they call it, the Airbnbs and workaways and whatnot. So how could you combine those into like a really good two week holiday that isn't the budget busting honeymoon trip? All right. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it really depends on uh, on the person. But I think if it were me, I would probably uh, arrive in Tahiti spend a day or two in Tahiti exploring the Papeete market, which is, it's incredible. It's um, this two level market with flowers and fresh fish and there's a shell market upstairs and there's a, they have a traditional, um, a restaurant that serves traditional Polynesian food and they usually have a a ukulele group at lunchtime and it's, uh, it's really nice. After that, I would probably hop on a ferry straight away and go to Morea, which I've mentioned, I think is one of the most beautiful islands in the world, I believe. And then if I was on a budget, I would either try and find a good Airbnb or you can stay at this place called Camping Nelson, which was actually, it's been around forever. I stayed there the first time that I came here when I was 19 and it's still there. And it's kind of one of those hit or miss places that has you know, moments when it's run great and moments when it's run terrible, but it's right on this white sand beach 
and it's uh, it's nothing fancy, but the setting is absolutely incredible. And nowadays, you can rent um, e-bikes, which I think would be a great way to see Morea to get around. You can also hitchhike, which is what I have mostly done there. It's nice. it's not uh, there's not a lot of people hitchhiking, but if you need to get around for cheap, it's it's definitely an option. Um, and you can go up to what they call the Belvedere. It's this area uh, that looks over the two main bays of Morea, and you go through these archaeological areas to get up there. You can actually walk up or hike up the whole thing if you're if you've got a lot of energy. Um, but the the archaeology part is fantastic. It's um, ancient um, religious temples and housing areas. Uh, I got lost up there once and ended up eating all of these wild passion fruit that were growing on these trails and ended up having a great time even though I was lost. So, and then from there, there's, uh, you can, you can actually swim out to this restaurant on this little islet. And I love doing that. Um, and the restaurant's not cheap, but it's, you know, you swim out there and you get to go out there and, and, and eat your lunch out there and then swim back. There's an area where you can go where you can sort of have mm. these close encounters with stingrays and uh, these black tip sharks. It's in this that sort of um, like chest deep sandy bank area and you go with a mask and snorkel and they there's just stingrays and little safe sharks everywhere. And so that's a lot of fun. And then you can do, you know, whatever you're interested in. There's kite surfing, there's surfing, there's hiking, there's diving. There's the whale watching season is from around October to January, I believe. And then from there, from Morea, you can actually fly uh, to a few destinations or you could just hop on the ferry and go back to Papaete. And then I would go to the Tuamotus, um, which are you know, seeing a coral atoll, if you've never been to a coral atoll, it's one of the most mind-blowing experiences, um, seeing a coral atoll for the first time, these rings of coral with hardly any landmass. And um, the diving is incredible. There's some good surfing out there. Also, you can usually end up going on these sort of picnic trips across the lagoon. Rangiroa is a great choice because it's got everything. But I really love Tikehau. I think Tikehau is probably my favorite um, sort of easy to reach um, atoll destination. It's the prettiest. It's uh, it's got this neat bird nesting ground in the middle of the atoll. Um, the village is really friendly, um, and it's it, it's it's uh, one of the fishiest atoll passes in the islands. Jacques Cousteau called it the fish the the most uh, fish dense area of French Polynesia. So I would go there um, on a budget that would probably be it, um, unless I would maybe add in Huahine or Malpiti, which are other islands in the society archipelago. And those are sort of, you know, uh, again, just you could really chill out, go to beaches. Huahine has some amazing archaeological sites also that you can you can bike around. There's an archaeologist who does really, really good tours of the, um, of the sites that are very insightful. So, yeah. That's that's probably what I would do um, on a budget. If I had no budget, I would that would change a lot. I'd probably go to the Marquesas Islands. But I think it's about it's about six to eight hundred dollars round trip just for the airfare to go to the Marquesas Islands. That is epic. You know, ruins. That's something I never ever thought about. It sounds like there's literally a little bit of everything there. You've seriously piqued my interest. Uh, just as we wrap this up, Celeste, how can people learn more about you and what you're up to? 
That's a good question. My website is extremely out of date. I would say it's about 10 years out of date at this point. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm followable on Facebook. I'm the only Celeste Brash in existence that I know. So just a Google search okay. will, um, will bring up mostly things about me and um, you know all the books that I've contributed to and my articles. So um, another way is uh, through the Komoko website, which is my family's pearl farm on Ahe Atoll and the Tuamotus, and that's uh, www.komoka.com. And that's our, uh, my husband and I run, run that business together. And my son is actually helping us with it too, and my father-in-law. Great. Well, thanks. We'll have links to all of those channels that you mentioned there in our show notes for those listening. Thank you so much for making time to chat with us, Celeste. You've really piqued my interest. Uh, It's a much more fascinating spot than I kind of imagined it to be. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's a lot more than just beaches. I think I'm always um, trying to let people know that it's not just a, you know, lie on the beach and drink your Mai Tai destination. There is something really for, for, for everybody. Well, we hope to share some of your photos uh, on our show notes. Uh, Listeners can go to our website, TalkTravelAsia.com, and we'll have uh, links to her Twitter and IG and Kamoko.com. So thanks a lot for coming on, Celeste, and I hope you have a wonderful day there in Tahiti. We're all very jealous here, even though we're in the tropics as well. We don't have those beaches so nearby. So, Yeah, you guys don't have it so bad out there either. Yeah, thank you guys very much. Wow, you know, Celeste definitely got me excited to get back to the beach, even though I was in Hawaii recently, and I'm hoping to go to Bali. Uh, like, I just, I guess just getting to Tahiti is the hard part. Once you get there, it sounds like there's plenty to keep you busy. Yeah, tons to keep you busy. The inter-island thing, though, is a challenge. The distances are massive. You know, I was looking at a Google map, and as we mentioned, 2,000 kilometers, and there's hundreds of kilometers between each of these islands. But yeah, she really piqued my interest. It's much more than I thought it would be. I, I, I mean, I thought it would be a couple beautiful islands, but looking at pictures and hearing her descriptions, yeah, there's legit trekking there with some high mountains. There's coral atolls. There's even cultural ruins. I really liked how she said that you'll run into tons of local people and not so many foreigners. Food sounded like a really interesting mix. So yeah, I mean, before this, would I have gone to Tahiti? Maybe. It's definitely moved way up in the rankings now. It sounds a lot more interesting than what I thought. Yeah, well, you know, it's we had Maldives on recently, right? Our guest to talk about Maldives and uh, nothing against yeah. the Maldives, but like, you know, I, I, if I ever had to choose between Tahiti and Maldives before, I, or, or French Polynesia even, because um, I've heard of the Marquesas as well. I've heard of many of these islands. They're, they're quite famous, right? But you, when you look at a Google map right. and you discuss with someone about the, the big picture and the entire country and all of the different styles of islands, like, again, it, in Hawaii, the, the islands are greatly different. You know, it snows on top of the big island and then Kauai is like all jungle. So she's talking about high islands and low islands that the low ones are probably much older that have already sunk into the sea and have become these coral atolls. But, you know, then there's surfing and the diving here is probably spectacular. The hammerhead sharks and hiking because they have those same really big, pointy, peaky mountains in in parts of uh, Mm -hmm. Polynesia, you know. So, like, yeah, I think it would be a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, intrigued. Again, I love to trek. I like some time in the water. Uh, I like culture. I like food. So it sounds like you could go to two or three spots over 10 days, two weeks, and sort of get more than just a beach, as she finished with. So, hey, I'm surprised. And that's what I love 
about doing this show is learning more about other places. And I had a lot of preconceptions about it that were knocked over and a whole bunch of things I didn't know filled in. What I really think we do need, though, is to look at a map as you listen to this. So I know that uh, you particularly are really good at making these Google Maps and marking them up. So if you're listening to this, make sure you do look at our, our map or Google map as you're listening to the show. And remember, Trevor and I do this for the fun and love of travel. So go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and please become a patron of the show. Sponsor it from as little as a couple dollars upwards a month. We promise to give you a little video or a short episode in between the regular ones. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this, Trevor? Yeah, you know, yeah, check out the map. I put, I actually only put about 10 places on it, but I think they're the, the like 10 key places. Cause as she was talking, right. I was already putting together kind of like a two week itinerary. And, uh, mm-hmm. so on the show notes now, hopefully I'll clean it up a little bit and I'll put together like what I would do over two weeks in, in French Polynesia. And that map will sort of help guide you. So I think as she speaks, um, it's so cool. I think if you look at the Google Maps while you have like the satellite view as well, so you can see the different colors of the ocean, it's awesome. So uh, almost Asia, French Polynesia. Uh, I'm glad we did it. And uh, Celeste was a great guest. So thanks for joining me, Scott. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 